curatorial space, institutional space, social and political and ethical and economic space, deep space, outer space, inner space. Space is an issue for everyone, yes, but it has specific resonance for those who make exhibitions and run institutions, and a bit differently for women in general. How we move through it, how we claim it, how we narrate and thematize it, how we fund it, how we labor in it, how we construct it, how we are trapped in it or trap others in it. Women in Space a two-day symposium that thematized the role of scale, space and power in envisioning women in the art system and made reference to the exploratory nature of space travel and all its attendant problematics and projections. Taking the measure of a wide swath of art institutions and spaces run by women curators in recent years, it would seem that the art spaces they activate do not often stress the importance of size, the need for expansion, or the importance of demographic media impact, but rather the necessity of programs that encourage a qualitative interaction between different social spheres as they relate to the exhibitions, public programs, and the continuous presence of the artist community. But the question remains, do women art professionals aim for this outcome or is this the result of the difficult and adaptive process to the very patriarchal conditions in which they, as women in a system created by and for men, are mandated to work? Ideas of intimacy, the smaller scale, and the need for a social space in which to express authentically and in solidarity can seem to clash simultaneously with the larger, louder, seemingly more ambitious view of what women should want. What do all these ideas, projected or not, imply? And how do they manifest in space itself? How have such ideas affected the view of women who claim space, as it were, large or not? There is a local representation about um, this territory which is very strange. It's like in France we would say that Alsace is France from the outside. You are not in France, you are outside of France, but it's linked to the history of Alsace. And um, there is the France de l'intérieur and uh, France de l'extérieur, outside, inside. And uh, it's it's like uh, being uh, outremer. <laughs> so it's like being also a, an outsider yeah. in France, which is a strange uh, representation. And um, so I was thinking about this idea of margin, being on the margin, and uh, talking or speaking from the margin. Um, and I was thinking about that uh, related to uh, this idea of silence, uh, because the language is polluted and dominated, and where can I uh, speak from? How can I situate myself? myself? Um, how can I uh, use language? No? Uh, 
And um, since in Alsace there is this strange relation to, to language because uh, it is stuck in between two uh, dominated languages like French and, and German, the notion of, of invention uh, was very useful and very helpful to think uh, about language in this specific uh, situation. And when you work in the margin, when you speak from the margin, then you can take a lot of risks and you can be creative and you can invent. Women often occupy the, the, the margins and it's a, I think it's an adaptive uh, process, no? But, uh, and the margins are like very uncomfortable. It's not a pleasure to work in the margin. It's, I think it's more comfortable to have the means, to have the material conditions, to have the power to organize the programs, etc. So it's very paradoxical because we use the margin as a very creative space, mm -hmm. but it's a very uncomfortable space. So I fight a lot to improve <laughs> the material conditions uh, of, this, uh, of this space. Um, while uh, trying also to understand what it could generate and what kind of uh, inventions we could uh, collectively build. I think you're right. Um, being at the Kunstausbaselland, it seems to be that you're, and of course this is also a question that comes up quite often towards me, um, are you sure that you're working in the right canton? Because it's Baselland, it's not Basel City. But on the same hand, I think it's quite important you're part of everything. I think on the, you are kind of on the spot and at the same time you have a different freedom because you are not in the, in the middle of everything. So I think you can follow your program without any force. I think the force that you have, I think it's the same with Elfie, you're running that kind of middle-sized institution. You're mainly occupied with um, administrations, questions. You have to do the application, you have to find the money. But on the other hand, I think you have a certain freedom. And um, I think this is something quite positive. And I think we have to keep in mind that the Kunsthaus Baselland, there's no long tradition. It now is up for 20 years. Mm. And so slowly, slowly, you have, to, you have to work on the program. You have to get more influence, maybe, on, on what you're doing and um, making maybe some, some signs of what you're doing. But you also, I think, your program is defined by the fact that you have been working differently with the question of locality, different from other institutions that run programs where they don't ask themselves uh, where are the works of the local artists. Or if they do, they do it just in formats that already exist, but they don't explore it. And um, you do it also in a way that you don't perceive them as local at all because they're integrated in a program and they are kind of uh, in just a position with a language that you can relate. But this is a kind of very difficult work to do as well. So perhaps you can say something about it. I think, you know, the, we eternally stress the value of locality and we eternally need to actually situate the local in a, in a wider, bigger, um, broader context. Yeah, that's right. So one of my main goals is surely to work with, uh, with the local artists. So I think it's a goal that you can yeah. easily follow, to work with local artists on the one hand, on the other hand, then bring it together with international positions. I think that's quite important because for the audience, then it's quite obvious it's not the local and then the international. And it's quite, 
So we do this quite regular to show two or three artists solo exhibitions at the same time. But do you think that this has an impact in the relation of in, into other programs and ways of thinking? I think. Do you think that um, this as a method, that, as a way of naturalizing who is near with who is far, because it's just by chance that some very good artists are very near you. So why treat them as as the local subject that cannot enter the collection of a museum just because it's a good artist living here has less of a privilege of a very good artist living very far away. So. Um, have you seen a change of mentality towards this in your years of being here? Um, maybe a bit. I think it's, as mentioned before, for example, maybe a good example might be the two solo exhibition we did two, two or three years ago now. It was a retrospective with Marsha Hafif, showing her paintings, her drawings, videos, films, texts, etc. And she was in that time in her late 70s. And bringing together with an artist who had her studio in Mutens, but she is now quite, quite known, of course, also in Basel, Maya Rieder. She was in that time in her early 30s. And I think, of course, so many people and the audience came especially for Marsha to, to experience her work. And then they found out that there's also Maya, Maya Rieder. And as mentioned before, it was not like showing different levels of, of artists, but it was quite interesting because I, th I think it also inspired Maya very much, knowing that she's, she will be have her solo show beside Marsha Fipp. So I think the result of Maya's show was also different than, and then of course also the reception of both exhibitions was very different as well. And um, Maria, I think perhaps you can address a little bit your work. I think Lebanon is a, Beirut is a completely different context but it has been completely permeated eternally by, by what is, you know, by, by what is Arab art or what is art of the region. And um, how do you respond to these questions also in relationship to a parachuting? I think, of course, in the Middle East in the last 15 to 20 years, when you were a successful artist of the region, you knew that the region would be uh, happily perceived by international museums and that you can jump into the quota of what they needed in their international collections like Tate and MoMA and, uh, and, um, and Pompidou and so on and so forth. So the regional has a complete different touch than, than here because of the colonial. I think there is a colonial uh, yeah, commonwealth kind of mind touching that. So perhaps you could address it a little bit. When I came there as a foreigner, of course I knew the generation of artists, Lebanese artists that are in all the collections that made Lebanon famous. And of course, these artists, who are mainly men, by the way, really interesting artists, I'm not blaming them. They made a big rupture in the art history of Lebanon, and they went out of the very, very heavy colonial heritage in culture. I had to discover what was Beirut when I arrived. I knew a little bit, and Beirut is not this you know, it's not anymore this place where everything has shifted in a very strong way because there was a need for it. It has become a very mondialized town in terms of art uh, world. It's um, what I call the bubbles. It's uh, the way the, the, the society structures with families, with religious communities that are not necessarily interacting together. And there was a mix in the art world, but 
when I came, for instance, the, the visual art world was not talking with the dance art world, and the music was in itself a separate world, and you know, you had all these separate things, and I worked very much to make, to bring links between them, and to go through with also the unconsciousness that was my strength at the beginning. I've exhibited some artists out that are not Lebanese, some Arab artists that are not Lebanese, and I also try to bring a lot of African artists because uh, in Lebanon the money is coming mainly from Africa, you know, but you never hear about Africa. You never see any African, you very rarely see African in, in Beirut, and, uh, except domestic workers, for instance. Uh, so I was, you know, I was trying in the program, I was handling this very precisely. I don't think that many people know that uh, in the Middle East, and not only in Lebanon, but also in Egypt and the, in the Persian wall as well, many women occupy really uh, positions of power in the art institutions. Like in uh, Beirut is specifically so, so you were the art center um, one of the biggest galleries operating internationally has been founded by a woman um, and um, Homeworks, which is this kind of more informal art school, very powerful, is also run by a woman. Yes. And uh, in Egypt, all the almost independent good structures are run by women and in um, Iran, um, the same. But, um, and it's interesting because there is a claim of, of saying, that there is a kind of a liberation claim of saying that they are not constricted by religion as we, as we think that, uh, that they are, and therefore women can occupy these positions, and yet we know internally that it has also to do with class and uh, with the role of, um, in parallel what we were saying in the, in the first panel, with, that art is very important but not as important as other things, and then it can be given, um, or it could be given, I don't know. But I would like you to reflect on that situation and if there is a difference of, uh, that is perceivable um, if working in Beirut were mostly a woman running the institutions or working in Paris, which is not. I think it's many different factors that plays for the woman taking charge uh, situation of uh, being director and probably the factor of the man thinking it's not important enough is playing. Unfortunately, it's right. You don't have so many uh, curator men in, in the Middle East or if they are, they are going to America, they are going elsewhere. They don't not very often stay on site. It's not also so prestigious. This is the truth. There's a lot of people that I know that would never, never do that. And also it's financially, it's not well paid. So a lot of people I know in Paris would never have taken the situation. I did it because I was having my teacher position at the same time. But I don't regret, it was really a very good experience. There's no such thing as a real institution in the Middle East, in fact. Voilà. So it's private project, association. At the end, you always have the, the founders that are the owners at the same time. So there is something which stays very feudal in it, from what I know. And I think the girls from the CIC are dealing really greatly uh, in this realm. But there are not so many places that have this strength and independence. I wanted to ask about something you said earlier when you t said that you're, you're stepping down now. Mm -hmm. 
and that um, because perhaps now you know it too well, you know the job too well, and you know what it um, what it mandates. And it was better that when you began, not to say it was naive, but you were on it was less clear, and so you were able just to move yeah. forward almost in with like blinders mm -hmm. on. And I'm wondering, is this um, is this a kind of way of working or a methodology um, that's also adaptive? That's also that also is somehow gendered, that's also necessary to do these kind of roles, where as you said, whether it's like a kind of real institution or an unreal institution, the amount of work you have to do to keep it sort of floating mm -hmm. is so all-encompassing um, that you almost have to be half blind or something. I don't know, it, it was very interesting the way you put it. And I was wondering if you could talk about that a bit. Yeah, not adapting itself, I think, is a methodology in a way. And, but I could not really theorize so much about it. But I think you have to be outside and inside everything. What was, Elfie was saying was very interesting in this realm. You know, I don't want to be an embodiment, a complete embodiment. You know, the institution, if I try to invent it, because it was about inventing one, cannot be me. At the same time, it needs someone. It needs someone who carries it and who is there. And you have to be present. But I'm, I, I want to give it to someone else. I didn't want to be there forever. Maybe it's also my way to work. But you're right, maybe men are not doing the same thing. Yeah. There's something non-academic in me, but I know a lot of very academic women. I mean, I wonder if there's actually a connection between this kind of, uh, this methodology of kind of almost with blinders on moving forward and also what you were talking about of, of working from the margin and how uncomfortable that is. And yet, at the same time, it's very generative, it's very interesting, it creates interesting, but it's not comfortable. And of course, one would like to have better conditions. One would like to, um, to have a landscape where, where, where one's needs are fulfilled so you can sort of work maybe without resistance. I have something to add that I didn't mention. The situation in Lebanon has been worse every year. And uh, some people told me once, it's even worse than during the war. Okay, with the Syrian uh, war just 50 kilometers away, with the refugees uh, everywhere, and with the economic crisis that is relating to it. So in a way, I add just a layer. I think that I didn't want to feel comfortable there. You know, you cannot just say, okay, what I want is a lot of money and do whatever I want. Because it's not about this. You know, the money you get, you have to use it for something very useful. But you, you, get, you have to give it to, to people. Mm -hmm. And not only one kind of people. This was my preoccupation. I was like thinking about like two questions. Like Elfie, I think... What about this discomfort? Because I think that, for example, and that's what is not happening. We are like um, in a really crisis Europe, like where everything is organized in the urban centers. Everything is really um, it, it has been thought uh, for centuries around the production and the economical uh, center cities, and those cities lost completely. Um, their importance in terms of being supporters for this social dynamic 
um, originated by artists. Of course, now, for example, it's, it's so interesting to think about Berlin, no? It was like the biggest storage of artists ever existed. And then when they, you know, when it was clear that it was no cultural dynamic, no glamour, no collectors, no, um, you know, not even public money, no, no dynamics would be produced around it. Um, you, you wonder why, and the why was that they were preparing another scenario, and this scenario is that Berlin is going to be one of the second cities after America in the startup economy. So they were waiting for another uh, economy to come, and, um, and it arrived. And now th this situation is going to be misplaced, and yet, you have all these other territories and, and so on. So I was wondering, like, um, how could Alsace become less uncomfortable, for example? In your opinion, how could we operate different in, in situations which are so far away from all the centers? Because it's true that it's close to Basel, but mentally it's not. And, uh, and, and there is reasons, because uh, like the way that people circulate um, it's very historically determined. So people go for the cheaper supermarkets to the border, but not necessarily to see exhibitions. And um, yeah, I think, sorry to be crude, but I think <laughs> that uh, it's kind of, uh, for me, it's fascinating. What could it change that would manipulate that transit, for example? I was talking about discomfort because it was more like talking about the material conditions we have to uh, achieve our missions because we have a lot of missions, actually. And but if Macron would go completely nuts because yeah. of the oxycotin he's taking, yeah, yeah. decide to give you like a budget of 1.5 million, which is okay for the size <laughs> of the space you have, um, would it then also change, I think, would, would the money buy um, methods and means to transform that dynamic? Actually, it's, it's about uh, transformation like transformation in the way we work with artists and the audience, for example. Regarding the circulation of the audience uh, through the borders or regarding the audience we have uh, at Crack, we try to avoid to uh, respond to uh, any kind of pressure of numbers. We don't want to make numbers. We, we want to develop specific uh, projects with the audience. Uh, that means that sometimes it could be a group of 12 uh, persons and we will work with those 12 persons during one year and it's a lot of effort and and to do that we we need to have a team and yeah. the, the team is very small for example but now you have yeah. one and a half million i have so then i could for example refurbish the toilets <laughs> <laughs> and it will bring a lot of comfort now it's it's very I'm sorry, but it's... You it's know why I'm laughing? Because mm. uh, when Maria de Corral and Rosa Martinez mm. were appointed for the first time uh, directors of the Venice Biennale, mm. uh, they were asked for the press. Two women, two, two, no one said, I cannot do it. Mm. But two, they could do it. And then they did a press conference, and then they asked, what's the first thing you are going to do? And Maria de Corral said, I'm going to put toilets. <laughs> and then... You know, that's what I'm, this is like a woman thinking, like infrastructure first. Mm. Yes, infrastructure, but also the way we work, the, our tools, our means, uh, etc. I don't know, it's, it's not that we are like asking for a lot of money, but it's just... No, but now you have it. Uh, I have it, okay. Money. So in the healing process, I won't use uh, painkillers, for example. Uh, I think I will more try to... Uh, yes, the, the other issue is to open up in terms of audience, to open up the institution to uh, 
persons, uh, different uh, people, and to have the means also to reach people and to develop like uh, this kind of projects, uh, reaching people from other social spheres, for example, and to try to uh, break class issues uh, we have to face. It's an everyday effort no? to, uh, to try to, uh, yes, to work with these classist issues, to articulate the art center to the society. And it's not about improving our personal life. It's about improving uh, our collective life and uh, the common good and uh, to give access to, uh, to contemporary art. It's a very simple uh, but uh, it's, issue. It's very important what you mm. are saying because mm. most of the woman colleagues that I have are always telling that. Like the, the major challenge is going to be how to surpass differences, economical difference that define class difference, that also articulate um, you know, cultural differences and the arrival of populations that don't relate to uh, historical and cultural material that uh, art centers are producing and how expensive it is to produce incredible educational programs or programs just to reach them, to talk, even talking to them, going where they are, bringing them. This is an, an enormous expense. Yeah, and, and it's so interesting that on the other hand, we have been seeing the rise of uh, educational programs in big museums and so on, but it's normally the worst paid people and people that are not even in the staff. So there is a complete discrepancy in the, what we are saying and actually what we need, and it's mostly um, in this spaces like yours and people like you that, that like identify the problem, but yet nobody wants to pay for it. The funds that were going to this kind of, you know, program, education, etc., are gone now to the humanitarian field, which is another problem and question, because if I, if you say that you're addressing the Syrian refugees, what we were doing it, but I didn't want to advertise it because then you get the money, you know, and anyone can get money by saying so. Humanitarian also is taking a lot of the money of education that was funded before by some big uh, international. So the education still is a huge question and the main. Uh, link. But I'm not even saying humanitarian, but the transformation of the, of the mission of institutions that are dedicated to intersectionality in, and, and then they avoid it by actually reclaiming or reinventing only certain classes of educated or the artist community or the bourgeois. But actually, yeah. nobody, you know, this can be changed, mm. but it demands mm. efforts, mm. and those efforts need to be linked with the development of methodologies that many programs uh, um, in Europe and also worldwide, were developed by artists. It was artists that they were interested in bringing that knowledge back. But if you don't keep it, and you don't reactivate it constantly, and this is the part where the money comes, it's super difficult, because the conversation cannot be initiated and not maintained. You need to maintain it. So mm -hmm. that's where the cost. Yeah, but it's interesting, too, because I think education has also often been very gendered. So there's like a reason why the educational departments are often very underpaid. I mean, that's also why in like large institutions, it's like where you find the women, you find the women in education. Um, and they're the least paid and, they're, and, yet they're, and their resources are less and yet their mandate is enormous. You're supposed to bring in 
every population, mm -hmm. sort of every type of audience. You're supposed to have constant programs done with almost nothing to bring it back also to this panel specifically. Because of course, uh, Basel and Baselland and all this, like we're actually here um, in a quite a small area. And so I was wondering, you know, thinking about space, both um, real and physical and metaphoric, also distance, you know, I mean, neither of your institutions are very far away from the center, but mentally that distance can be like quite vast. And I wonder if that also affects the way one thinks about bringing in an audience, which is not physically so far away, but in the mental projections of the people who are going to uh, openings and going to lectures and attending programs in Basel, it can feel very far. And what that means to try to almost like you're, you're trying to bring in an audience and it's at once local and international at the same time, mm -hmm. even though you're in very, in very close quarters somehow. Of course, so it's, um, you really want to have a lot of a crowd experience it, perceiving it, and how could you do that? So of course, you, I think with collaborations, I think that is something that, it's, that it works quite well. Um, we did our collaboration with the university, but also Elfie and us, we did something together to activate a shuttle bus, for example, to make some tours from Mühlhus to, to Altkirch and to Baselland. And I think you have to be quite creative in that. And of course, I guess if you would have more money to spend in advertisement, in different things, then there's a different freedom, of course, because I'm sure that both of us, we are doing, all three of us, we are doing very good, hopefully good programs, but um, only half of the crowd know about that and how could they have the access to that. But I would advocate for riots because the next question is how would that affect uh, the practice and the perception of artists themselves, meaning um, if you do a distinguished program that is paying attention to practices that all the bigger institutions, more seldom, are not doing because you feel that you can do it, but marginality allows you to do that, it's also kind of paradoxically legitimate to wish riots to see that because otherwise it also kind of backfires because then it always stay this kind of secret place and then some of the, those artists go somewhere and, and, and manage to be in bigger institutions and then in the curricula building it's only that very beautiful small show, very delicate that I did at the beginning of my career but it would be really fundamental to change that dynamic not for the sake of power and money also but for the sake of the territory itself. I think for the sake of the territory of the organization forms inside the art world because how otherwise you are perpetuating um, you know the key box or the erring uh, thing forever so at least it needs to somewhere be an ambition of uh, going to all public schools of Alsace uh, convincing all the teachers and all organizations of uh, um, you know, women, jobless people, like I don't know what, to just completely refigure uh, the kind of audience that one could have in such a place, which is, uh, you know, fundamental. And, and that happens in so many other territories. Like, um, I, I was in Frankfurt, and it's at the core of a big city. And uh, when I arrive, they have 20 people uh, coming for an exhibition sometimes. Like, you know, nothing. And it was so interesting why people would not enter. 
why in a big city you would not cross the door and would go to the Shein Kunsthalle? The difference is not that big. So this question of trust and circulation, for me, are fundamental for the future of, of the class relationships that we have, not, you know, not for the sake of the numbers. So I, I would also, I am completely believing that politicians would not care if certain people cross the door. So the numbers that they are looking are not the numbers that we are thinking of. Therefore, there is the qualitative numbers and the political numbers. So um, I would not even be worried. I mean, I think like one unspoken thing, and it's different for smaller institutions, of course, but also in major cities that the prices, the entrance prices for museums are prohibitively expensive. You know, And then the spaces that are free, which are the smaller spaces or private galleries, um, have no interest actually in reaching other classes and have no interest in reaching people outside the art world. So I think this kind of, I think, I think this kind of economics and these kind of conditions also condition um, the way audiences travel and circulate and who you're able to receive and who, who you're not. I think it's not just probably a, um, a, a function of, of funding per se, it's also, it's also these sort of other ulterior forces, you know, that m make someone imagine themselves as being uh, greeted or accepted or not, basically. And last question, I think, Ines, you are gonna soon change skin, no? Like, it may be that you go to another and bigger space. So in your mind, is that some, is something already changing, things that you want to do differently? Or you think that the institution in a bigger, more, a little bit more central place, slightly central, is, is, um, is gonna change something, you think? Well, definitely. I think the location will change, change a lot. As mentioned before, I think we ha don't have to concentrate then all the time about how to bring the people in, because the people are, are already around if we move here to the Dreispitz. And I think this idea of strengths and collaborations can be really lived together. I think that is super positive, I guess. And this is also the reason why we really want to want to move to the Dreispitz, because then we can concentrate and um, not only put our energies into, into different fields, but I think regarding the curatorial program, I'm not sure if I really want to change something, because I still have this kind of wish to, to go deeper in this idea of working with the locals, working with the internationals, but also, and maybe this is also quite an um, ambitious goal, also to concentrate on artists that are somehow as well overseen. And this comes together with the, with the panel discussion about, about women, because in the last years, and also right now, we are concentrate a lot on solo exhibitions with older artists, like female artists. I think also this comes, goes together with the, uh, the question of visitors, of the amount of visitors. Of course it's important if you do this kind of solo exhibitions, these kind of retrospectives, it's important for the artist that many people are able to, to perceive and experience these exhibitions because you want to somehow rewrite art history. Before I became director in Kunsthaus Baselland, I worked many years as a curator in the Hallen für Neue Kunst in Schaffhausen, and this was for a private collection, and a stunning private collection, big space, 6,000 square meters, and transformed industrial space, and it was a lot about the radical turn in the 60s and 70s. 
and it was mainly there you had 12 artists presenting this radical turn and of course all of them were men. And stunning artists, of course, Bruce Nauman, Karl Andre, etc. But you got the idea that art history is mainly dominated by, by males. So I think it's, it's quite important to, to work on that and to concentrate not only on young artists, but also on artists that are now in their 50s, 60s and 70s. And especially by mentioning these artists we're working right now, I think there's a certain urgency as well working with these artists. Participants were Nicola Dietrich, Mareike Dittmar, Raphael Dörig, Fanny Fetzer, Elena Filipovic, Iliana Fukianaki, Ines Goldbach, Sabine Himmelsbach, Claire Hoffmann, Manuela Moscoso, Marie Murassiol, Elfie Turpin and Nadine Wittlisbach. Moderated by Jus Martinez and Quinn Latimer. Promise No Promises is a podcast series produced by the Women's Center for Excellence, a research project between the Art Institute at the FHNW Academy of Art and Design in Basel and the Institut Tussouche, a joint venture with Grazina Kulczyk and Art Stations Foundation Switzerland. The Women's Center for Excellence is conceived as a think tank tasked to assess, develop and propose new social languages and methods to understand the role of women in the arts, culture, science and technology, as well as in all knowledge areas that are interconnected with the field of culture today. If you're interested to get more information about further podcasts and events related to this project, please go to our website, institut-kunst.ch. That's institut-kunst.ch. Or request information or subscription to our newsletter at info.kunst.hgk at fhnw.ch. That's info.kunst.ch. .hgk at fhnw.ch. Instituto Sush is part of Museum Sush, an initiative by Art Stations Foundation Switzerland and Grashina Kulczyk. More information can be found at museumsush.ch. That's www.museumsush.ch. This podcast was produced by the Art Institute HGK FHNW in Basel and Instituto Sush. Art Station Foundation Switzerland 2019. Research Assistant Alice Wilke. Editing and Sound Design Elena Ziesa. Recordings Konrad Siegel and Chris Handberg. We also want to thank Der Stiftung für Erforschung für Frauenarbeit for their support. <laughs>